Amen. You guys can grab a seat. It's good to be with you guys this morning. You're new or you're visiting. My name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at the Austin Stone. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 will be there in a little bit. Um, if you just join us today, you're actually in, we're in the second week of a three-week series called To The Ends. To The Ends. And the purpose, the purpose of this series is for us to gather together and come around afresh something that has been significant in the history of our church and God willing will continue to be so. So here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to recapture your imagination, my imagination, as to what does it mean for this church, for the people in this room, to engage in the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And not just to the ends of the earth generally, but specifically among those people who have no access to hear the gospel of Jesus. Now, there are literally right now billions of people who have a completely different experience than you and than me. And I think you know that culturally, but even spiritually. So, so there are plenty of people even in this room and in this city and in our lives who do not believe in Jesus. Like they, they don't believe he's Lord of all yet. When we, we know many people who we'd love to believe. Maybe you invited them here today and you'd love for you to believe with us. But the difference is, if you're here in our city and you'd like to hear about who Jesus is and you don't believe in him, there's plenty of churches you can walk into, plenty of Christian friends you could ask questions about. The difference is, if there's, there are billions of people right now, if they wanted to hear about who Jesus is, they would have no one to talk to about it. If they had a dream that said, go talk to someone about Jesus and you'll be saved, there's nobody they could find. They couldn't find anybody. They have no access to hear about him. And so for almost 10 years as a church, almost 10 years as a church, we have made those people a priority. Those people a priority that we bring the gospel to them. Now our church isn't the answer to that because it's a massive undertaking. But we just wanted to play a part. We just wanted to play a part in God reaching those people. Not that other people in the world don't need the gospel but there are billions who have no access to it. So the original vision that we had was called the 100 People Network. We launched it in 2009, and here's the idea. We wanted to see if God, see if he would do it, raise up 100 people to give up two years of their lives to, to serve and love and share with an unreached people group. Now, there are few things in the last 10 years of our church that have shaped us more dramatically as a church. Like for some of you, it's been a personal experience where your friends have left, given up everything and gone overseas. For others of us, corporately in praying and in giving and hearing sermons about it and stirring up our affections for those people. And as this ambition has progressed over the years, now here's what's happened. We've sent 100 people, and it's been incredible to be a part of. And now what God's beginning to do is saying, oh, you thought that was big, now he's calling us as a people to want to see not just 100 people sent from our church, but 100 unreached people groups reached as a part of a movement we're engaged in as a church. Not just 100 people sent, but 100 people groups reached. Now let me give you some perspective of how big that is. 
Oh, the last 10 years, we've sent millions of dollars and hundreds of people, and we are just now beginning to see one people group have a church planning movement. So you can do math. One in 10 years trying to get 100, that's a long time. We'll all be dead by then, right? Sorry to be so sober this, this early, right? It's a big vision that we're trying to accomplish. And here's what we wanna do. We wanted to give you and me an opportunity to wrap our minds and hearts around a vision. That's not a vision you can just kind of casually enter into. You have to sit and soak in it. And so maybe you've heard sermons about this. We've talked about it throughout the years. You've heard us reference 100 People Network throughout the years, but many of you have not had a chance to soak in what this really means. Because the only way for this to be a significant work that God does is not if the leadership of this church cares about it, it's if this church cares about it. If it's just us talking down to people who don't really care, it's this church that has to believe it. And we started this in 2009. So I know some of you grew up in churches where you're not supposed to move at all during service, that's okay. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. I wanna see how many of you were here in 2009, go ahead and raise your hand if you were here in 2009. Okay, very few of you, right? It's not, it's not shaming, okay? Don't feel bad about that. Here's what that means. Most of you weren't here when we launched this. So that means you haven't had a chance to process it. Have you ever tried to watch a movie and, and pick it up halfway through? Like, who's this character? What are they doing? What's Mordor? Like, what are all these things going on, right? Lord of the Rings fans, anybody? Is it still cool? I don't even know. So that's, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you're like, it will always be cool. Um, it's timeless. But when you enter into a movie halfway through, it's hard to catch up what's going on. It's, if you just watch the climax of a movie, you don't feel because you're not attached to these characters. And so for so many of you, you've kind of entered into this and we've kind of just kept preaching and talking about it. And you're like, sure, that sounds great. But the fact that many of you weren't here in 2009 is a really good thing. Because you know what it tells me? God wants more people to be a part of this story. If we were all the same, that would be discouraging to me. That means one, nobody left, right? And then two, it means that maybe we're stagnating. But the fact that many of you have moved here since then, gotten a job here since then, come to here for school since then, gotten saved for the first time, come back to the faith, come back to the church since then, that tells me God's not done with us yet. That tells me, oh, you are settling for some small dreams right now. He wants to wake you up, give you something bigger to pursue. And so we wanna give you time to soak in it. And not just for you to merely be shaped by the vision, but for you to shape the vision with us. This is a two-way relationship. Like what, what this means is we'll have a vision and then goers will go out and do things. We're like, oh, they're teaching us what we should aim for. It's a two-way street. And so I know for many of you, when you hear me talk, even if I'm passionate about it or anyone up here is passionate about it, you hear taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and for a lot of different reasons, you're gonna be tempted to check out. Listen, not because you don't care. It'd be really easy to kind of do the old shame thing and go, see, you don't care about people. That's not what I think it is. I think it's easy to check out because it feels so daunting and it feels so detached from where you actually are. Like, I don't know 
how you're coming in here this morning. I don't know how the new year's been for you. I don't know what questions you have. I don't know the suffering you're going through. I don't know all these different things going on in your life. But here's what, I doubt many of you were driving in this morning thinking about service and thinking, God, I just have to know, are you working among the nations? Maybe you did, you're ready to worship this morning, but I think it was just Andy, right? I think that's all that it was. He was ready to go, okay? But the rest of us, you're pulling in, in the parking spot half a mile away, and you're probably thinking, God, I could use some encouragement this morning. Or if you have kids, you're thinking, God, help me not kill them this morning. And, or you're just, it's just routine. You didn't honestly think much about this morning at all. You barely have your coffee, you're like, oh, we're in a gym. Like, you don't even know what's going on. And others of you are hoping, God, I hope Aaron plays my song. And now you're thinking, he didn't play my song. Is it bad to leave? Like, is that, <laughs> let's, let's not pretend we're more spiritual than we are right now, okay? We're all coming in here with different, and listen, not all those things are necessarily bad, but here's what I want you to know. I need you to remember, God is alive and he's active and he's often surprising. He's surprising. And see, there are things that are gloriously predictable about him. His love, his forgiveness, his power, his mercy, his hope are so predictable. You call out for, for forgiveness, predictable, you'll receive forgiveness. He's so predictable in so many ways, yet in other ways, you don't know what he's up to in your life. You don't know what he's doing. You think you do, you don't. You think you know the sins he's trying to root out, you don't. He's secretly working in all sorts of ways that five years from now, you'll begin to look back and have some sort of insight into what he was up to. But listen to me, he is writing your story, you're not. Some of you are really fighting against that right now. Sorry, he's the author, not you. You have a role to play, absolutely, but he's the one sovereign over all of it. He's finding a way to work your joys and your sorrows into this glorious procession into his glory and love. That's what he's doing. He writes your story. So here's what, I, here's what I want. I have no idea what he's up to today. There's a couple of predictable things he's told me in his word, but there's a lot of people in this room and he's up to a lot of different things. All I'm hoping is that he broadens your categories as to what it means to have faith in following him. That you'd begin to go, okay, what does it mean to have faith? And that would begin to expand a little bit. And when things expand, it hurts a little bit, but you'd begin to understand to follow him in faith is the absolute best way to live your life. So it's safe to say that we are all over the place in our individual commitments and passion for the nations. And I hope is that God would begin to change that in us. But here's the thing that I think, I'm gonna venture out and say, I think we do all share more corporately, more broadly, is that we all want to be faithful to Jesus and be a faithful church at least, right? Maybe you're not passionate about the nations yet, but I do hope you're right, but I am passionate about Jesus. I do wanna follow him, I do wanna be faithful to him, because for all the differences in this room, that's the one commonality we got. That's the one commonality we have. That's the thing that binds us together is a desire to be faithful to him who is faithful to us. Like if you're here and you're not a Christian, that's what makes one of the most unique things about Christianity, even though we may not always manifest it, Christianity has in it the ability to bring a diverse group of people together. Why? Because the thing that binds us together is not shared politics or ethnic background or status in society. It's a common faith in Christ. That's what's unique about it. That's why we have the potential to be diverse, though we may not always 
get there because of various issues and problems. But there's so many people that I will meet, even in this church, I'm not gonna name you by name, but I know who people I meet, and I go, man, the only thing we have in common is Jesus, and that is it. You're laughing at that? That is not funny. You voted for that? That is not okay. Like, I feel a lot of things, but then I go, but at the end of the day, what we do have in common is faith in Christ. And for us, that's the desire that binds us together, is the desire to be faithful. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, and you believe in Christ, there is no more important question that you can ask of your life than this, am I being faithful to Jesus? It's more important than am I happy right now? There's no more important question than am I being faithful to Jesus, why? Because if you're a Christian, you're only gonna be content and satisfied and feel a sense of purpose in your life if you're being faithful. Now here's the thing, we wanna contend with our non-Christian friends. I think the same thing for them, but I'm not gonna call them to be faithful to Jesus when they don't see him for who he is yet, right? But that's what it means to be a Christian. You've been given the spirit of God for the aim of your life is not to have a great company. The aim of your life is not to have a great family. The aim of your life is to be faithful. That's your aim. That's your ambition. The spirit of God's in you. You know what he is predictably doing? Working you towards being faithful, which sometimes means not being successful in certain people's eyes, right? being faithful, to hear God say this to you in Matthew 25, 21, his master said to him, this is Jesus speaking, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the aim, to be faithful to the one who is faithful to me first, to be faithful to the one who's faithful even when I'm faithless. That's the aim of the Christian life. Now listen to me though. But faithfulness is not measured by our definition, but by his. You are not faithful because you feel faithful. You are not faithful because you believe and your friends tell you you're faithful. You're faithful if God says you're faithful. You don't determine that. When someone has greater authority or power and value than you, they set the standards for what faithfulness is, not us. So when I was growing up, one of the main chores that I had consistently that most kids in the suburbs have is mowing the yard, okay? And my dad was insane about and meticulous about the yard. He, he wanted it cut every three days. If that sounds insane, it's because it is. Um, and he was so, and he didn't trust me so much that he would only let me mow the backyard. He wouldn't let me mow the front yard. I'm like, I'm not even saving you labor right now. Like, you just want to make sure that I get it right. Well, there was one time, uh, it was my junior year of high school. He, it was, it was summer. He said, hey, I'm going to work. I want you to mow the yard by the time I get back. And I had just mowed it two days previous. And I was thinking, I really, really don't want to do this. I love my dad, I wanna honor him, but he's getting a little out to pasture a little bit, so I need to make sure to teach him, it's not like a high schooler, I need to teach him what it means like, to really think rightly about this. So a buddy of mine says, hey, do you wanna come to my house? I said, absolutely. My mom graciously says, well, what about the grass? And I say, listen, mom, I'm not going to do it, he's not going to notice, and it's gonna be fine. And my mom just kinda goes, Okay, I was like, I wish you'd have told me like in advance what I should have done, but she let me go. So I leave and I 
I feel great about it. I'm not there going, oh, is he gonna I don't, I don't care. I'm being faithful to the task of the lawn being mowed. If it's not within his parameters, that's okay. He doesn't know anything. He's old, right? In my mind, once again, in my mind at that time, he's old. So, hand on my buddy's house, I don't think twice about it. And then there's a phone call on a, on a landline phone. Those are there. And his mom goes, hey, Tyler, your dad's on the phone. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if he's calling to tell me if he loves me. Probably not. Um, <laughs> hey, son, love you. Bye. Like, that's it. That's it. He, I go, hey, dad, what's up? First thing, did you mow the yard? Yeah. I totally, yeah. Yeah, I mowed the yard. Looks great, doesn't it? A little more stern tone. Did you mow the yard? I mean, I was going to, but you wouldn't notice. He cuts me off. Get home right now, mow the yard. And I was like, mom, you failed me. Like I just, (laughs) cover for me. Um, (laughs) um, That's not a good marriage practice, by the way. Um, I felt fine about not mowing the yard, but I don't define faithfulness in that scenario. His word defines what's faithful. So even if you really feel at the end of the day that you're being faithful, even if it feels of the popular opinion that you're being faithful, even if you have a really good argument to back up why you're being faithful, if it doesn't align with his word, you're not being faithful. That's how you determine that. And so if you're a Christian, you have to do something with Jesus' clear commands and calls for us to go to the ends of the earth. If you want to be faithful to Jesus, and if you're a Christian, the aim of your life is to be faithful to Jesus, then you need to have some sense and make some determination as to what he means in your life about going to the ends of the earth. There are so many Bible verses for this. I'm going to give you three where it is absolutely explicit and you cannot deny what Jesus is saying. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all Nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 46. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. In Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, where? And to the end of the earth. All of these quotations are after Jesus is raised from the dead. It is fascinating. One of the first things he does when he's risen from the dead in victory over sin, Satan, and death, he says, now go tell the world. Go tell them. The reason I want everyone I have died for and risen for to hear about it. Go tell them. Now listen, because of our, our time in history, there's been 2,000 years since Jesus said this, we're familiar with that concept for the most part. But for the disciples, him saying that would have been shocking. They would have been like, wait, us? There was at most 120 of them. And none of them were wealthy or had a lot of status or power They're in this monarchy where they can't just vote to get things. I mean, they're in a unique situation. They're thinking, we're going to be the ones to take it to the ends of the earth? And yet, what do you see? In the New Testament, the gospel begins to spread all over the Mediterranean world from a small little Jewish sect of 120 people to all the way to the end of Acts. Rome and non-Jews are believing in a Jewish Messiah they have never met. 
you see the gospel begin to spread. Because faithfulness, when God's love and his plans, they're bigger than any person. They're bigger than any people. Like you, you can't contain it. And when you see the love of God in Christ, you, the spirit of God prompts you to want to spread it. You can't help but talk about it. You can't help but want others to see it. And so it doesn't look like every Christian leaving for the ends of the earth, but here's what it does mean. It does mean every person plays a role in sending and supporting those who do. Listen, not every person in this room is gonna be called to leave their culture for the sake of unreached peoples, but listen to me, healthy and faithful churches will find a way to support those who do. If you care at all about being a faithful Christian and church, I hope you do, we're in this together, then we have to find a way to be a part in the kingdom of God advancing in the world. So a great example of this in the New Testament is the church in Philippi. When you read the New Testament, there's a lot of local churches mentioned and they are all over the map. There are suffering ones, there's persecuted ones, there's healthy ones, there's some really dysfunctional ones. And also I love when you read that, every church, no matter where they're at in health, all of them are called saints, all of them are called, uh, called children of God. But listen, not all of them are in equally healthy local churches. Maybe some of you can give an amen to that, right? They can be still Christians and not all be in equally healthy local churches. And there's some churches in the New Testament we don't wanna be like, but Philippi is one we do. Philippi is one we want to emulate. Listen how Paul talks about them in Philippians 1, three through eight. He says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, if you read his letters to these New Testament churches, he always starts by telling them he's praying for them. I love that about Paul. Even if you're a messed up church, he starts with, I've been praying for you too, right? He starts like that. But with the church in Philippi, he begins to talk about them in a unique way because of their unique faithfulness to God. In verse five, it says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, these are people that as soon as they believed, they partnered with him. Not just received from him, they partnered with him. And then in verse seven, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Why? Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They're saying even when Paul went to prison for his ministry, they didn't abandon him. They stayed with him. Because that's a big deal, because especially in that day and age, them staying with Paul now left them open to the authorities, now left them open to public shame, because you're supporting a criminal of the state right now. They didn't roll on him. They didn't abandon him. So this is a church, not just somewhat committed to Jesus, not even committed to a Jesus that they fabricated in their minds, they are choosing Jesus over the persecutions and threats of the world. They're not a perfect church, but they're a faithful church. And their faithfulness began to manifest itself by supporting Paul as he went to unreached people groups. Look at chapter four, how Paul closes the letter. Verse 14, he says, yet it was kind of you 
to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epiditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's on the front line. of This is Paul the apostle on the front lines of ministry. And do you see how this local church in Philippi, probably a handful of believers, are wind in his sails? Even he needs encouragement. Even he gets discouraged. Even he sees everyone abandoning him, but he can go back and go, Philippi's with me. That dozen or so Christians, they're with me. It's not easy work, but it's sweeter knowing those you've left still have your back. Those who you know believe the gospel that you're sharing, they're still behind you. And this passage is so much more than financial support. It's so much more than financial obligation. It's partnership. It's friendship. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, to take it on yourself, to bear my burdens, to carry the weight with me, It's one thing to just give from a distance. It's another thing to weep with those who weep. Another thing to laugh with those who laugh. Verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership. That word partnership is also the Greek word that's defined other places as fellowship or friendship. It's bigger than just an obligation. It's friendship with him. It's reciprocal with him. It says, except you only. They didn't feel guilty. They didn't feel obligated. They cared for him. He wasn't just some missionary at a distance. He was a friend to them. And they supported him, and they also believed in what he was doing. They wanted Thessalonica to be reached, so they supported Paul as he went. And what's fascinating, fascinating, because of the reciprocal relationship, Paul then speaks back to them encouragement. Once again, it's not a one-way street. It's a back and forth. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift that you sent, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's saying, I don't, it's not about the money you sent, though I'm thankful for that. I'm about your growth, too. I'm about your joy, too. Not just about me and my ministry, but you and your heart being faithful to who God is. Look at verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. They were giving Ultimately, they were partnering. Ultimately, not just merely for the sake of Paul, but because they were being faithful to God. They were saying, I want to be a part of the God who's saving like he saved me. This is pleasing to him. I want to be a part. The service and sacrifice are acceptable. And look at that last verse, 19. 
and my God will supply every need of yours. He says, you can trust that as you give away for the sake of unreached peoples, God will not forget you. God does not work in scarcity where if you give to him and his mission, then you will be left and forgotten. He's saying, no, he has this way, this kingdom sort of ethic where you giving in some ways blesses you. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He says he has more than enough to provide for you, so don't let fear make you hoard. Don't let fear make you hoard and think, if I give away, if I give my love or energy and attention away, what will be left for me? Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Jesus. That's the reason. The reason why we support those who God calls to go to the unreached is because we wanna be a part of it. Because you have, if you're a Christian, you have tasted and seen that God's love and his mercy and his promises are better than everything else. Because you remember what it was like not to have Jesus. You remember that? It's really easy to forget. Do you remember, even right now, in your mind, what were you like before you knew him? Like, how'd you deal with your self-hatred and your shame? How'd you deal with your fear? Who were the people that let you down and you thought they would always be there for you and for whatever reason, they weren't? What were the good things that failed you? What were the sufferings you went through that no one could explain to you? Have you forgotten what your story is? I'm fearful many of you have. That you've been in this paradise of God's love for too long to remember what it was like not being there. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember where you were when you finally realized he was everything you thought he'd be? Do you remember that moment where you finally realized, oh, he's the solution to the shame that I feel. Oh, he's the hope that death can't conquer. Oh, he's the purpose. He's the joy that doesn't leave me empty afterwards. Do you remember that? Because if you forget, then you'll forget the nations too. They won't be important. Because when you see and you understand that it's his death for my failures, it's his resurrection for my hope, when you begin to see that and understand that, then you're going to want him to receive more praise than he's currently getting. That's what's fascinating about Christians all over the world. There's a commonality. When we see Jesus for who he is, we all commonly say, even if he's getting glory now, he deserves more than that. It's not enough. He's too good. It's not enough for him just to get the small little portion that I'm giving him. It's not enough. If you've seen him for who he is. If you're here and you're not a Christian, oh, I want you to see him. I've not found anyone like him. Listen to me. When you grow dull towards Jesus, his mission to the world will be one of the first things to go. When you grow dull towards Jesus, his mission to the world will be one of the first things to go. A lot of us look at our lives and analyze it and go, okay, maybe if I'm not reading my Bible or not looking or looking at pornography, or sinning in this way or that way. We have these sort of check engine lights that we go through. I want you to know, if you have no real care 
or concern. Not, not just words you say, but genuine heartbreak over those who don't have the hope that we have. For those who don't believe in this Jesus, then you have lost sight of the greatness of Jesus and his gospel for you. Not just generally, but for you. Why? Because at the heart of the gospel, it's God's mission to you. He left the culture of heaven for your culture of brokenness. He left what was familiar for what was foreign. He left what was comfortable for what was costly. He lost so you could gain. When the despair and the hopelessness of the world does nothing in here and causes no action, that means you've forgotten how God treated you. Maybe you don't think you're as bad as God says. Maybe you've forgotten the extent to which he came. But if it's not there, you can read your Bible every day and give and be kind and be nice. But if nothing in you breaks for people who do not believe, I do not think you understand the gospel the way you think that you do. Because the heart of the gospel is the mission of God to you. This is why when Jesus himself, the risen king, not even this church, when Jesus and the Holy Spirit call people from this church to go to the unreached peoples, the same ministry as Paul, we lock arms with them and say, we got you. We got you. I know they may not receive you. We will always receive you. We'll always be with you. This is why we want every goer to have what we call an advocacy team. It's a dozen or so people, probably similar size to what the church in Philippi actually was. A dozen or so people who look at that goer and say, we got you. We're gonna share in your trouble. We're gonna share in your trouble. We're gonna partner in the gospel with you so that more peoples can see Jesus is who he says from finances to counseling to care packages to Skype calls to prayer and sharing and everything that comes their way. We may not be on the ground with them, but we want to join in them in seeing Jesus worshiped everywhere. So I wanna show you a quick video of a goer talking about the role and the power of having an advocacy team in their life. Go and watch this video real quick. Due to security concerns for our goers, We've cut this part of the sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the work being done abroad for the sake of the gospel, please visit forthenations.org. You get to be a part of that. Listen, there's a lot of things that you're going to invest your life in. There's a lot of things you're going to invest your life in, your time, energy, your money, your prayers. And listen, not all of them are going to pan out. Not all of them are going to be good investments. But I can tell you, when you are supporting goers, when you are sharing kind of you to share in their troubles, there will, you'll never regret a moment of it because we know how it ends. Revelation 7, 9, and we're done. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples and languages 
standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb. This is one thing that you invest in, you know how it ends. You know how it ends. So this is why we as a church have to look at every goer, and some of you are gonna be goers, and you came in here just trying to get a parking spot. And he's gonna call you, and we're gonna look at you and say, we got you. You may feel so alone, but this church will have people saying, we got you. That will be the reminder that Jesus made a promise, no matter where you go, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I will be with you to the end of the age. And we want him to be worshipped in places he's not worshipped yet. And we want people who don't know the hope and the love of him to know that with us. That's why we go. That's why we send. That's why we support, because we've already seen how it ends. We want to be a part of it. Let's pray together. Father, I am undone thinking about your love for us, your concern for us. That Jesus, you came and you shared in our troubles. You came and you knew our stories. That you're the only one who can get into the nuances and the specifics of each person's story in here and show us that your love is what we're made for. But God, help us see it so clearly and so vividly that we can't help but long for people who do not know to know. Not because we want to force some agenda on them, not because we think we're better than them, but because, God, we've tasted and seen that you're better than everything. God, would you begin, even through this, to wake this church up to having faith again, Faith that there's a better kingdom coming. Faith that there's a better city coming. Faith that death will not have the final word. Faith that forgiveness will be seen and pronounced among the cosmos over us. Faith that will be with you. Faith that every threat and every trial will be seen as nothing before you. God, wake us up from small things to not just merely for this, but for the sake of following after you whatever that means. God, it's easy to settle. Easy right now, God, even to feel guilt and obligation. That's not how you work. You motivate with love. You motivate with promise. You motivate with joy. You send us for the sake of our joy, for the sake of our credit. I don't know, Father, all that you have for me in this series, all you have for us in this series, but God, make us people who listen. Because you, you alone know where the path of life is. So God, before we do a thing, help us sing right now in faith and praise to you. Just like, it's just like you. You want us to be joyful before we do a thing. 
But then God, help us have faith to follow through in the convictions even now you're stirring. We pray all these things in the risen and sure name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, church, let's stand, let's sing together.